At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. What's going on? This is Peter J. Kim on the Food 52 Podcast Network, and you're listening to Counter Jam, the show that celebrates culture through food and music. This time, we're going to Romania. Our food guides will be star content creator and recipe developer Carolina Gellin and food writer and author Irina Georgescu. We'll be listening to tunes from Fanfar Chocarlia, a very special band from Sege Prajene in the northeast of Romania. The band members all identify as Romani, a cultural group in Romania also known as the Roma, or colloquially as gypsies, although some people view that as a pejorative term. I'm intentionally not playing any of their music just yet because I want you to hear a story first from the band's manager, Henry Ernst. Henry is German. In the 90s, he finished his studies as an audio engineer and he set out in Romania to record Romanian folk music wherever he could find it, with a portable recorder and a microphone that he carried with him. One day, a chance encounter while resupplying led him to a village where he met not only the woman he would later marry, but also the band he would later manage. I bought some gasoline for my car uh, from a villager and we had this usual small talk, what I'm doing here, uh, what I like in Romania and so on. And when it came to, uh, to the music, he was surprised. Oh, really? You love Romanian folk music, uh, in particular uh, gypsy music? Wow. Look, if you want, go to the next village. It's called Sejepajen. There live only gypsies. They play brass music. So I said, wow, cool. I go there for an hour. Let's see what happened. Henry came to the village of Sejepajene, where a mysterious man awaited him at the town's entrance. So he was standing uh, in front of his house, which were the first house of Seche Brajen. So I stopped the car. I, I asked him brass music and he said, yes, come with me. So very promptly, you know, like we know each other since years. <laughs> what a conversation. <laughs> yeah, very short, very briefly. Come with me. So he guided me to his uh, yard. It was a big apple tree and I sat down, I, I, I got a beer in my hand and within three, five minutes, many, many people run from the village to his yard because uh, the, uh, the news, there is a, a, a foreign man arrived in Zetjebrajen was was like... Uh, Thunderbird, you know, everybody knew it about. So they were running, uh, young kids, old mans, and everybody had his instrument, his brass instrument in his hand because there was a message, there's a foreign man, he asked about brass music. So they were running and they sat up in front of me, but then they started a music I never heard in my life and I never dreamed about to to hear this kind of music it was frenetic loud it was techno on on brass it was fast it was furious and it was also in the same time full of humor you know so i i i literally was blowing away when you listen to this next song try to imagine the scene sitting under an apple tree holding a beer in a tiny remote village in romania not knowing what to expect. Here is Song for Noga by Fanfar Chukaliga.
and welcome to Romania, folks. That was Song for Noga by Fanfar Chokarlia. What an incredible sound. It so happens that I know a thing or two about Romania because I spent about a month there, way back in 2006. It was during a long backpacking trip. I met someone truly special, fell in love, and stayed with her in a town called Cluj-Napoca in the heart of Transylvania. During my time there, which was magical, I was struck by the incredible richness of the food and drink traditions in Romania. The soups, the cheeses, the spreads and salads, the braised dishes, the pickles, the wines, and the local liquors, and not to mention the folk music, which you'll be hearing more of on this episode. My first guest, Carolina Gellin, is a star food content creator who has shot into the spotlight on Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest. I asked her why many Americans know so little about Romanian culture. I think they don't really know much about Romania because it's such a small country. Like whenever someone asks me where I'm from, I have this like record that's playing in my head and I just like go on auto and I go, oh, I'm from Romania. And then I go like, oh, vampires, Transylvania, (laughs) garlic, gymnasts communism, you know, and that kind of helps them figure out what I'm talking about. But when I just say, oh, I'm from Romania, people are like, what's that? Like, tell me more about it. Like, I'm not sure where that is. Do you use words between like those other words to make sentences or do you just say vampires, garlic, gymnasts? No, I just throw words at them. I'm just like (laughs) vampire, garlic, Romania, castles. I don't even try to 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 make sentences with them because like once you say vampires and gymnasts and communism, that's when it clicks. <laughs> so I think I really developed the 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 perfect formula to to get people to know more about it, you know, to figure out what I'm talking about. <laughs> there you go. It's like <laughs> Romania in slam poetry. Um, <laughs> you know, what what do you think people imagine in their mind's eye when they're picturing Romania? I think they have a very rural view of the country, like, oh, you know, they probably don't have electricity or they probably don't have this, which in some cases they're not off. Like, I like to describe Romania as this, like it's a very rural way of living, you know, like people are happy with simple stuff. Yeah. And I feel like in the past two to five years, like things started to develop more and pick up more. But until then, like, I don't know, like people are just happy with like not a lot of things. Like, for example, I didn't grow up going to restaurants. We would go to a restaurant maybe twice a year when it was like someone's birthday right. or but it it would it wasn't common. You know, like people make stuff at home and right. you really learn to be self-sufficient. And, you know, I think one of the things that may play into this is when you think about the sort of American attitude, when we talk about anything, we tend to hyperbolize. And so we'll talk about how things are the greatest thing ever or, oh, my God, you must eat this. (laughs) And this, in my experience, at least, is not the Romanian demeanor. And so I find it hard to imagine a Romanian really like pulling out the confetti and talking about how amazing Romanian cuisine is, a Romanian would be more like, it's food. Yeah. We eat it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're very like that, you know, Um, that's such a good way to put it. And I find it sometimes it's funny because like now that I moved here, I always like to let people know, like, you know how Americans are very like, oh, you're the best and this is the best (laughs) and that's the best. And sometimes it feels so disingenuous because like, you don't mean that, you know, you're just saying it just for the sake of saying it. So whenever I tell someone like, oh, this is the best thing ever, I make sure to let them know. But I don't mean it like, oh, this is the best thing. Yeah, it's just another (laughs) best thing ever. I like to tell them like, hey, I'm not from here. So when I say that, I mean it with all my heart. Like, I don't just say it to say it. You know what I mean? Right, right. I don't know how a one's day could be filled with so many things that are awesome and amazing. You know, right. um, <laughs> what that means is in Romania, I feel, is that when you're there and somebody to imagine somebody describing something as awesome or amazing there, it truly must be something exceptional. Right. Definitely. And I think most Romanians, like they're very humble when it comes to where they're coming from. Like, right. You're not really taught to brag about stuff. So you're just like, oh, yeah, it's just this country. And I grew up here. But 
it's not like, oh my goodness, you gotta do this and it's the best hit, you know? Romania! (laughs) (laughs) Carolina, who recently immigrated to the U.S., is originally from Transylvania, not too far from where I was during my stay in Romania. I was born in Oradea. It's a small city, around like 200,000 people there, right next to the border with Hungary. Mm -hmm. So like we're, it's a 30 minute drive to Hungary. So that influences a lot. Like that influences the cuisine there, even Mm -hmm. the language, like the way people talk there. Like you have certain Hungarian slang that every Romanian, even if they don't speak Hungarian, you just know the words. So it's a it's a really, really beautiful city if you get the chance to visit it. It's right, full right. of like Art Nouveau stuff. I think mm. it was named like the Art Nouveau capital of Europe. In oh, wow. Some, yeah, in some year. I'm not sure which one, but it's a really, really beautiful city. What are some of the Hungarian slang words that are used in that area? It's, let me think, Musai, which means necessarily like you have when I'll, I'll I have to put it in context because like yeah. the word itself doesn't really make any sense if I would say you have to go there like that is you have to do it it's kind of mm-hmm. like Musai so that's one of them what else yeah or even like sayings right even swears like you know cuss words yeah Hungarian uh, has a lot of good cuss words so people use those sometimes Oh, why? I yeah, have to hear what's a, what's a good Hungarian cuss word. I have to hear this. Oh, my goodness. Don't make me do this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll text you. I'll okay, text okay, you okay, okay, okay. We'll keep it clean. We'll keep it clean. I have, can I tell you a really funny story? Yeah, yeah. I was in the U.S. and it's kind of a cuss word in the U.S. But again, like because English is not my first language, cuss words in English are like, oh, it's just another word. Like it doesn't have that much value. Because it's just like a translation. (laughs) I was working in a restaurant and this host, she's Romanian, right? Like me, we were there uh, on a work visa during the summer. Like I've Mm -hmm. done this a couple of times. I came to the U.S. on a work visa and worked at a few restaurants. And she would greet the guests, right? And she would be like, okay, goodbye. Have a good one. And one time she was like, okay, goodbye, pussy, pussy. Which... (laughs) In Hungarian, that's like a common way to say goodbye to people. You're like, right. oh, pussy. Pussy in Hungarian means kiss. <laughs> right, right. So you're like, okay, kiss, kiss, goodbye. She said that to like American customers. And, you know, as a host, like you yell at people, you're right, like, goodbye, right, right. pussy, pussy. And those poor Americans, they looked back at her and she's like, <laughs> She's like, what did I say? Like, what's wrong? You know, <laughs> it was just one of those moments. It was, it was so funny. Oh my god! So ever since then, the entire restaurant, like servers, chefs, everyone would be like, "Oh, pussy, pussy." Yeah, I'm just imagining this like very smiling, very nice woman, you know, and and then saying this and just like trying to reconcile. Like pussy pussy coming out of her mouth and like what is this how does this make sense? any sense it really it like it you can't really say it in any context in english so right right but that was really funny carolina told me about some of the hungarian romanian dishes her mom would make when she was growing up the first thing that comes to mind that's more of a recent addition to her family is halasle Mm. which is a fish soup. And I know that's like when you say fish soup, it doesn't sound like the most appetizing thing ever. Yeah. But it's an actual, it's just broth, like fish broth made out of whole fish and fish heads and all that fun stuff. And it's spiced with like paprika and pepper paste and all like it's a, it has this beautiful red color. Mm. And it's spicy and it's fishy and you eat it with egg noodles. It's so good. It's funny because I didn't see a ton of fish when I was in Romania because, well, I don't think Romania has any major bodies of water on it, does it? No, they they have an opening at the Black Sea. The Black Sea. Sorry, there is a Black Sea. Yes. Yeah, but it's it's true. Like, it's not close to like where I grew up in Oradea. It's like yeah. thousands of miles away from us. So the transportation of fish and stuff. Most fish, it's like sweet water fish. Yeah, right, 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 right. Makes sense. Um, so you don't really get like salmon and stuff. You get 
I don't even know how to say this in English, to be honest. Is it crap? Is that a fish? Carp. Oh, that's... Carp. <laughs> crap. One of the first times I was in a Romanian supermarket... I was shopping for spreads and there were these all these containers stacked up one after another with crap written on in capital letters. And I was like, oh my I, I have to try this crap. I mean, it looks like some good crap. crap you know? dip. That's so funny. But of course, yes, it's that's actually how carp. We, yeah. Yes, that's how we say it in Romanian. It's crap. But yeah. yeah, thanks for clarifying that. It's carp in English. In Romania, as is the case with many cultures around the world, not everything comes pre-processed and packaged in a supermarket. Something interesting about Romania is you, and I, I don't know if I should say like trigger warning or something, slaughtering animals, yeah. but Romania still has that culture where people grow their own chickens and cut their own meats. Like, I'm so grateful to have been a part of that growing up. And it was such a beautiful lesson on how to respect food and the connection we have with food. Like we would have chickens, right? Like we wouldn't, we never had chickens, but like you're a part of your family does or like a relative or your aunt grows chickens and you can go and cut them. Like my dad would cut chickens and I would be his help. Like I would have to clean it or do stuff like that. And it's just like a beautiful lesson on how you have to respect food and how, okay, you have to cut this chicken this certain way so that it doesn't suffer. It's just like a one cut one time and you're done. So you would cut the chicken like on a Sunday morning and you would prep it and take all the feathers out and boil it and make sure it's sanitized properly and then, Mm. you know, divide it and make a beautiful hearty soup. No, I agree that that is incredibly important and something that's very much missing from people's understanding of food in the U.S. I am chuckling, (laughs) imagining you, Carolina Gellin, content creator, doing a whole bunch of like (laughs) Instagram reels on like killing the chicken. How people would react to that? (laughs) I've done that like two weeks before moving to the U.S. So I I had a platform and everything, and I'm like, should I Instagram story this? And I'm like, that I don't. I don't think that would do well. I don't think people would appreciate me sharing these graphic images from this village. (laughs) It would just be like silence. (laughs) My other guest, Irina Georgescu, is the author of Carpathia, Food from the Heart of Romania. It is one of the most comprehensive Romanian cookbooks out there. She, too, spoke about how butchering is a way of life in Romania. First of all, Easter is the time when we eat lamb. So it's a seasonal meat for us and we don't eat lamb after Easter because normally there shouldn't be any lamb after Easter because it's turning into something else, (laughs) a hog or a mutton or, you know. (laughs) So in Romania, we don't eat lamb very often. You will find mutton, but lamb, we don't eat it in the rest of the year. So obviously we're used to using every part of the lamb and traditionally you will just go to a market and buy half of it or a whole lamb and then take it home and butcher it yourself. Because, you know, yeah, I mean, it was quite um, quite a commitment. But that, you want to have the freshest meat. I'd like to turn now to talking about one cultural group in Romania that has had an outsized impact on the country's music culture, the Romani people. The Romani originated in India and as early as the 8th century, They gradually spread around the world, but especially across Europe. Wherever they went, they adapted to the local culture, but also maintained a distinct Romani identity, including a Romani language. But as outsiders and minorities wherever they settled, they also became the target of systemic discrimination. As I noted earlier, this episode's musical guest is the group Fanfara Chokalia, a Romani band from Romania. I unfortunately couldn't interview the band members since none of them speak English. So I spoke with their manager, Henry Ernst, about how Romanis are perceived in Romania. Romani influence uh, into Romanian culture is really focused on music. Romanis are, as in many countries in, in East Europe, is a very isolated minority and discrimination still is very high. Uh, that means many uh, young Rom- uh, younger uh, generations of Romani don't have access to uh, 
to high school, to universities, and sometimes partly because uh, because of uh, racism, but also uh, caused by still keeping old traditions uh, alive. You know, don't go to school, better go to work. Uh, you have to earn money and so on. Therefore, the influence of Romanian culture is very small, except to the music. When it comes to music, then uh, Romani culture, uh, uh, their musical skills, they rules. So actually you can say there is no Romanian who want to hold a, a wedding. He is not hiring a gypsy band because they want gypsy bands. They uh, perform in a totally different way, way soulful than Romanians can do. Uh, on the other hand, in the daily life, on the streets, in the daily business, apart from art, gypsies are always welcomed with, uh, how to call it, with a reservation, you know. Nobody wants to come uh, too close to Romani people. It comes also from a, a hundred year, years old culture in Europe. It doesn't matter in which language. Everything what is negative is very often or was very often uh, connected to gypsies, you know. Uh, little boy, don't run far away. The gypsies will steal you, you for example, you know. Uh, yeah. And many, many stereotypes, you know. And even the younger, the modern generation throughout Europe somehow have this old saying in their minds and this uh, creates always a feeling of, okay, uh, please keep distance, you know. Right. I wanted to tell you a story about my first interaction with Romanis, actually. Mm -hmm. I was backpacking and traveling, uh, actually going from Ethiopia to Spain, mostly overland. And I didn't have very much money. And so I was mostly staying with people that invited me into their homes. And I had somebody, I was in Istanbul and I met somebody who invited me to his home in Cluj-Napoca, which is what made me think, okay, I'm going to go to Romania now. So I was looking for a bus company to take me from Istanbul to Bucharest. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't go to the expensive bus company. So I went to the cheapest one I could possibly find. I got onto the bus and the entire bus was filled with women who were about as high as my shoulder. And they all had different color hair. And I, I gathered pretty quickly that this was a bus full of Romani women. And they were mostly, you know, middle-aged. Mm -hmm. I was like 26, 25 years old at the time. I get on this bus and sitting just with all these women. And uh, one of the, the woman next to me, her name is Valentina. And she starts putting gold jewelry on me, like a gold necklace. She puts like gold earrings in my pocket and all these other things. I assumed it was just for good luck. So I went with it and I didn't really protest. There was one younger woman on the bus named Lily. And I asked, she ended, she actually spoke English. And so I asked her at one of the stops, so why did the, why did Valentina put this jewelry in my pocket? And why am I wearing a gold necklace? She said, oh, it's because a lot of these women came to Istanbul to buy gold jewelry and they're bringing it back to Romania. And there's a certain amount you can bring tax free. And so they, she put exactly what you can carry into the country without getting taxed. Um, and so uh, she said, you don't have to do that if you don't want, but if you do it, it's a nice gesture. So I said, of course I'll do that, whatever. Um, and then I ended up becoming friendly with all these women on the bus. And they get, got to know me. I mean, look, I was a 25-year-old Asian-American man on a bus full of Romani women. So, of course, I stood out. In the middle of the bus ride, somebody gets up and starts announcing something. And we're in Bulgaria at the time. And it's just this announcement in a, you know, a language I don't speak. And just da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And all the women are like, yeah! And then she announces something again. da 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 And then all these women start getting up into the aisle of the bus. And somebody pushes me into the aisle, too. And we're standing in this bus while it's like swerving through Bulgaria. And I asked Lily, what is happening right now? And she just screams back to me, it's a dance contest, of course. <laughs> and so all these lights come on on the bus. And that's the point I realized there were flashing lights on the bus. And this dance music comes blasting on the bus. And everybody starts dancing. And uh, I just started dancing like crazy with mm -hmm. all these women. And had so much fun. Not what I was expecting on a bus ride at all. And then, of course, after dancing for a while on the bus, everybody sits down and they announce the prize winners. And when they got to the first prize, everybody started chanting my name. And then I got the um, I got the prize. And it was this little watch wow. that I won. This 
cheap little, honestly, kind of shitty watch. <laughs> but it was my trophy and I wore it with so much pride afterward. And then I got off the bus and it was in the middle of the night in Bucharest. And actually, uh, somebody gave me a ride to the hostel I was staying at, which was so nice. And that was my first interaction. And I remember thinking, wow. what an amazing welcome to this country. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, the country of all possibilities, you know. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> this next song is called Untigana Vea Okasa, which means once a Romani had a house. It's about a Romani who had a beautiful house, wife, and child, but only appreciates it once he's lost everything. It is a classic Romani folk song, one that can be heard in restaurants and pubs across the country. I love it. I can just imagine clutching a beer and singing it with gusto. Here is Untiga Navea Ocasa by Fanfar Chocalia. <laughs> Dei făcea lumină în casă Țiganul ca muricios Muricios și mofturos Când mai venea și noaptea beat în mama mea Și-și bătea nevastă în cap Țigan că s-a supărat Și-a luat lumea și-a about the mother of all Romanian dishes, Mama Liga, and hear stories about how communism shaped the country's food culture after this. Let's talk about a few staple dishes in Romanian cuisine starting with what might be considered the country's national sausage. I think the first thing you just have to try is mich, mitite, which is this, it looks like a kebab, but it's not a kebab. It's like its own thing, like a Romanian had it patented. So it's like a meat stick. It's like an elongated meatball made with minced meat. It can be beef, chicken, lamb. A mixture is always better than just one meat. Spices. Some type of meat stock, like chicken broth or beef broth or some type of that. And then baking soda. And you just process that in a blender and everything gets emulsified. Like all that broth mm. gets emulsified with the actual meat. It's so juicy. I don't know how to explain it. Like you just have to try it. It's one of the classic Romanian street food. You can get at like a festival or a flea market. Like that's what they sell is just like. Mich, mitite, that's what they're called, with mustard. They're so good. I made them. I learned how to make them with my mother. It, they're so easy to make. Like I, I have it on my list of things that I want to make a recipe for and share it because it's amazing. Among my food memories in Romania, one of the most poignant ones is just the burst of juice on biting into a mich, which is... Amazing, especially when you consider it's caseless, right? So it's it's right. kind of like this it's, freeform it's thing. It's so different, isn't yeah. it? Like you can compare it to like a kebab or something. Yeah. But they're not, it, it, the textures are very different. 
Irina talked to me about another staple of Romanian cuisine, cornmeal. We do cook a lot with cornmeal, uh, and this is, you know, um, something that the Ottoman Empire introduced uh, to Eastern Europe. And obviously the south and the east of Romania was somehow under the Ottoman Empire. So we kind of have a lot of influences from, from there, from, uh, from the south. Cornmeal is kind of uh, used in so many dishes from breakfast dishes to desserts. Like, uh, you, as you know, you have uh, cornmeal with egg and, and cheese if you want to have it in the morning. You know, mamaliga kubrinza. We have... Uh, stuffed cornmeal um, dumplings that uh, we can bake or we can fry or we can grill, what what the shepherds do in the mountains. They make a, a cornmeal dumpling and they just put it on the grill. They mix it with cheese and stuff mm. and they put it on the grill. But they are huge. That's why I make, I make this. Because in my book, I had to make them quite small so you can just bake them in yeah. the oven. But they can make kind of a, kind of big dumplings and just put them on the grill. We have a uh, savory cornmeal bread, like again in the book called Alivenge with dill and cheese. But also we can serve it as a side dish, like everyone in the world, you know, use people used to serve mamaligo or cornmeal, polenta as a side dish, uh, which we do so often because it goes well with everything, including with soups. Of all the cornmeal preparations that Irina mentioned, Mamaliga, which is a cornmeal porridge similar to polenta, is by far the most important one in Romanian cuisine. I happen to love the name Mamaliga, as I profess to Carolina. Mamaliga is such a better name for it than polenta. Yeah. When I just, like, Mamaliga <laughs> just sounds like, to me, like a really cool, well, a cool mom who's just like hanging out with like her shades. Yeah, Mamaliga. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if I were a female like Romanian hip-hop star, my name would be... MC Mama Liga. That, I never looked at it that way, but now that you bring it up, it is. It does sound like that. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, of course, Mama Liga is, as you were saying, polenta. But I think it's served a little bit differently in Romania. Right. It's it's polenta. It's like this really soft polenta. Some people make it like really hard, like sliceable. My family used to make it like really soft and you put fresh cheese uh, like really salty cheese, very feta-like, but it's not feta. It's like a Ro- if Romania has like all these cheeses, like you don't know the translation, but they're like very different cheeses. Yeah. Um, they can get out of farmer's markets. So we would sprinkle that on top, a little bit of oil, just bake it. And it's the most amazing thing ever. Another thing I grew up with that I feel like it's very representative of Romania is like pickles and sauerkraut. But you don't get like, tiny jars of pickles like my mother used to pickle a whole like gallons of it like you would have a whole barrel filled with like sauerkraut and we would keep it on the balcony during the winter time because like it doesn't spoil there and we would eat it we would eat a whole like I don't know how many gallons that would be I would say like 10 to 15 gallons of sauerkraut my girlfriend at the time, her mom would periodically make trips and it was like pickle delivery. And we mm-hmm. just get these like giant jars of pickles coming in. And the one that really stuck out to me the most, the whole paprika stuffed with sauerkraut. So like the whole pepper. Oh, and the, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would love to eat one of these pickles. <laughs> oh, my God. They're so good. They're so good. And it's it's very different from like I try to get pickles here. But they're very sweet. Yeah. Like, I didn't grow up with sweet pickles. They're always, like, very, very salty and tart. Um, And most of them are fermented, like, with a slice of bread on top. Right. Pickles are a huge thing in Romania. Another part of Romanian cuisine that I love is the soup, known in Romanian as chorba. But they're usually sour, and even if they're not... You will find Romanians to just add a splash of vinegar in the soup right before eating it. And I yeah. got used to doing that, too. It just adds like a little pleasant acidity in there to balance everything out because they're usually very hearty and meaty. Um, so that acidity, I think, balanced everything pretty well. One thing I've seen is, uh, if I remember correctly, there were often just like raw onions hanging out on the side of the soup. Oh, yeah, for sure. Raw 
You know what's funny? Because I grew up with that, I thought it was like a normal thing to just eat raw onions all the time. <laughs> yeah. And then I moved and I, I remember I served someone like raw onions on the side and they're like, oh, are you going to cook these? And I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was planning to do. Exactly. Absolutely. Just showing you the slices before they go in the pan. <laughs> who wouldn't cook their onions? Of course. <laughs> Um, and two other soups that I can tell you about is a potato soup. Mm. And my mom would make it. It's just like potatoes, paprika, water, cream. It's so simple, but it's just insane. Like it yeah. tastes so good. And when you, I remember making it and I'm like, it doesn't taste like hers. Like, I don't know what she would do to yeah. the soup. because She wouldn't put anything, but it would just come out so good all the time. Oh. And another thing that I can't find in the U.S., it's a green bean soup, but mm -hmm. it's not green beans, like the ones that come to mind, like, you right. know, the Thanksgiving side dish. Yeah. That's not a green bean. When I say green beans in Romania, there are these wide yellow beans mm. and they have like the actual bean inside and you usually snap them right in the soup. It's a very summer thing. Like you don't have those beans throughout the winter. And it's one of those fun soups you can eat cold. Like I'm not the biggest fan of cold yeah. soups, but a bowl of soup in the summertime, like cold, sometimes I would even put ice in it. It was yeah. just so good. I remember one time when the milk went sour in the fridge mm -hmm. and it was the point at which I would have just put it down the drain. It's not that it had gone bad. It just transformed into a different mm -hmm. kind of drink. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's so funny that you noticed that. I know exactly what, what she was talking about. I grew up doing that as well. And I think it comes from that. Like my parents were very, very clear about not wanting to waste food because mm -hmm. they grew up during communism. And, you know, like you wouldn't just have unlimited food. You couldn't go to a grocery store and fill up your bag and leave and cook right. at home. Um, you would have to wait in lines for a certain amount of food that's getting delivered like once a week, maybe. And it's delivered per person, per capita and per this. I think they were very impacted by that. Mm -hmm. So when they had their own families, they were like, OK, we're not wasting any food. Food is very important. And no matter what, we're not throwing food away. Like I remember as a child, like I would put a bunch of food on my plate and I couldn't finish it. And my dad would be like. You live and you learn. You got to finish it. Maybe next time don't don't put as much. So that was very important. And I think that's where the sour milk comes in. We wouldn't throw the milk away like you. What you usually do when the milk expires, you put it in a jar or some type of container and you cover it with cheesecloth or something that, you know, leaves room for breathing and the milk starts to ferment and it turns into this sour milk, which when you explain it to people, it sounds really gross because it's like, ew, like expired milk, disgusting. But it tastes like buttermilk and it's really, really good. This brings us to one of the pivotal moments of modern Romanian history, the fall of Nicolae Ceausescu, the last communist leader of Romania. Ceausescu is generally remembered as a brutally oppressive dictator and someone who also squandered national resources on projects such as the massive and ironically named People's Palace in the country's capital, Bucharest. Weighing in at 9 billion pounds, it is the heaviest building in the world. Its 1,100 ornate rooms were built at a time when the country was suffering food shortages. He was overthrown as part of the Romanian Revolution in 1989 and executed by firing squad on national television on Christmas Day. Irina talked about the food side of Ceausescu's legacy. Well, uh, growing up was a bit kind of a split between growing up under a communist regime and growing up after a communist regime. Right, of course. <laughs> I think as a, because I was a kid and my, my sister and I, we were just little, um, we were kind of really well protected by our parents uh, from everything. But I remember queuing for food, you know, and it was quite a, a military operation because uh, sometimes you had to queue for two days. So quite a long thing. <laughs> we were kind of uh, working in shifts <laughs> to to stay in queue uh, for food. And also it, it wasn't guaranteed that at the end of, of it, you would have any food left uh, because of the black market as well. So sometimes the food was gone instantly and the queue was still there. So 
Anyway, so queuing for, you know, butter or meat or anything like that, uh, it was quite part of uh, of growing up, you know. If um, mm. coming back, you know, of playing outside and kind of seeing that someone is queuing, I would have gone to tell my mom or call her at work or something and say, this is something is going on, <laughs> you know, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> or ask my grandmother. So, but apart from that, I don't remember starving, you know. I don't remember... Um, being hungry and not having anything in the fridge to eat, to be honest. And yeah. also because also mom um, used to um, make a lot of preserves. So during the summer and autumn, we were all working to to make jams, to make zakuska, to make uh, aubergines, you know, to have everything preserved and put on the balcony in a cupboard. And December time, kind of for another three or four months, we would eat from 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 that, you know. Dessert would have been jams or compotes, uh, which is poached fruit, not just a, right. a compote like mashed fruit with bread. <laughs> so very simple, but in a way, looking back now, kind of very natural and better than possibly a, a cake or something, you know. And so then after the fall of Ceausescu, how did eating change at home um, after that when things started opening up again? I think uh, I noticed even in my family, there were kind of big brands started to appear in shops and pre-cooked or pre-prepared or, you know, and a lot of people, including my mom, I have to say, they were happy that they didn't have to make anything from scratch again (laughs) and kind of use something that was already, you know, making life easier, but not exactly what you were looking for anyway. So a lot of the, you know, globalization of, of, of food happened in Romania instantly almost. I have this interesting story that my parents would always tell me. And it's funny because they both have the same story, but like they didn't grow up together or anything. During the winter time, so the way it worked during communism you would have to stay in line at this market or whatever, and people would hand out flour. So like, let's say you have four children, you get this amount of flour. You have two children, you get this amount of flour. Same with milk, same with that sort of like necessities. Mm -hmm. And my parents would always tell me how during the winter time, they would receive oranges. And it was such a special thing to see Mm -hmm. orange like an orange fruit. It was like, because you never get that. You know, it was kind of like receiving candy. Right. So what they would do, and it's funny because like both of them said the same thing. They would eat the peel. Like they would eat the whole fruit. Right. So that tells you a lot. Like it was so special to them. It was just like eat the the pith and the peel and everything else. So every thing. time during the the citrus season, when like the markets are full of, citrus and oranges and lemons they always tell me that story and they're like oh look like this smell <laughs> reminds yeah. them of those times you know uh, you know i have to say one of the things in my life in general that i try to fight against is combining the sense of value with how economics value something because an orange is something that's cheap and mm-hmm. you don't really even think about uh, or a lot of people don't but if you just isolate an orange in its sort of metaphysical state, like what an orange is, it's a miracle in a sphere, you know, and right. you could easily imagine a world in which oranges are extremely rare. They only come from one tiny island and they cost an immense amount of money. And then they're presented mm-hmm. to you on this like chalice and people would eat the oranges and just talk about the nuances and flavor profile of it and be so amazed by it rather than thinking of it as this really boring thing. I can imagine or try to imagine <laughs> perspective where you have are in austerity and then these amazing flavor bombs just show up in these beautiful bright colorful packages uh it's it's a dream and even even as as i got older they would always save the peel and put it on the radiator so that it Mm. it kind of like radiates the smell into the air and the peel dries and like they would never throw it away i think it was just one of those things like it kind of scars you for life and and you just do that forever yeah. Well, I would say that uh, if there had to be any kind of silver lining from what would otherwise be a hard period, having it be embodied in orange peels is really poetic <laughs> and, and really It is really kind nice. of poetic, yeah. yeah. 
Carolina told me about one use of fruit in Romania that she did not find so poetic. I'm pretty sure it's like an Eastern European thing. They make a fruit soup. That one can get weird. That one can <laughs> yeah. get really weird. I've had some delicious ones, but some of them are just like people. Because when you say fruit soup, it's like, okay, do you put fruits in sugar and yeah. let them macerate or something? No, it's like you cook fruits like sour cherries, pears, apples. Yeah. And you make kind of like a cornstarch slurry to thicken yeah. everything up. And it has this weird pink color. And again, some people like put the wrong fruits in there. It can get disgusting. I'm not a fan of cooked fruits in general. Like I can have a galette or something, but if in a soup, I don't know if it's for me. Also, it's especially weird when it comes with the raw onions on top, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Did you cook those? Yeah. <laughs> Onions and garlic. My my aunt has this funny story. She was dating this guy and she was visiting his family and they were making some sort of dish and she got the garlic duties. Like she had to peel the garlic uh, for yeah. that dish. And she started peeling so much garlic. His mother, I think, looked at her and was like, we're not making sausage here, darling. <laughs> Like we're, and she was like, okay, <laughs> because we put so much garlic in our food yeah. and we eat raw garlic. Like my dad, even now, like he goes to work and he eats garlic at work, just raw garlic. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's eccentric, I guess. Okay. So but it's really good for you. On my wish list of content for you to create, Carolina, number one is you slaughtering a chicken. <laughs> number, <laughs> two, number two is you taking a salad bowl full of just cloves of garlic and whole onions and just like <laughs> eating it. No dressing, no salt, nothing. Just eating that on camera and then just see how people react to that. <laughs> I feel like it would be a good ASMR type footage because you get all that crunch. You get tears too. People would be like pulling back from it just from like imagining the smell i asked carolina and irina the classic counter jam question if you were stuck on a deserted island and you could only eat one romanian dish for the rest of your life what would it be i honestly think it would be that green bean soup i'm not kidding i went back to my parents when right before i was moving to to the u.s and i asked my mom to make that for as long as I stayed there. Like I ate that soup for two weeks before moving to the U.S. Because I knew I couldn't find those beans in the U.S. It's just one of those things you can eat it cold. You can eat it hot. You don't get tired of like you, you put a lot. I put a lot of hot sauce in mine and it's just it's so good. But it's so simple. It's just for you to understand like the broth is just veggies, cream, and that's it. Some paprika, some spices, some salt, some hot sauce. And I'm happy with that. Here's Irina's response. For the rest of my life on the island? Yes. I'll take sarmale with me. I'll make sarmale forever. There's cabbage rolls, there's like um, rolled and yeah. And with, um, with Mama Liga, it has to be like that because that's the dish, you know. Yeah. So I'll eat that. I'll make, I'll take that. Tamale mamaliga. Tamale mamaliga, sour cream, pickled peppers. Sounds like a pretty complete meal right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the last song I'll play for you is about an elder from Fanfar Chokalia's village named Vasile. Vasile was known as Babo, which means grandfather. And apparently, Vasile knew how to live the good life by maxing and relaxing and not working too hard. Here is Babo Never Worked a Day by Fanfar Chukalit.
that's it for Season 4 of Counter Jam. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be coming back at you with some more episodes in a couple of months. Meanwhile, drop us a line by email at hello at counterjam.com, listen to our playlist on Spotify by searching for Counter Jam, and feel free to leave a friendly review on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to my guests, Carolina Gallen and Irina Georgescu. Carolina can be found on Pinterest, TikTok, and Instagram at at Carolina Gellin. Irina's cookbook is called Carpathia, Food from the Heart of Romania. Shout out to Fanfar Chocarlia and the band's manager, Henry Ernst, for providing some truly extraordinary music. Shout out to Food52, Crutch Phrase Studio for the sound editing, and Counter Jam's talented producer, Harry Sultan. I'm Peter J. Kim, and I'll catch you all on the next episode of Counter Jam. Counter Jam.